I'm telling you. This could turn Ari Krishna into a bad boy. They're bad, they're boys, and occasionally they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Bye, 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 bye. Hello, listeners. It's uh, David here. Just David, in fact. Although, this is an episode with Jodie and I, but for some reason we've lost the very beginning of the episode. So, firstly, hello. Welcome to Bad Boy Running. If you've not listened to us before, in fact, I can't even remember what this episode's about, or I think we're speaking to Ali, something like that, but it's the kind of professionalism you should expect of us because it's never going to improve in that respect. We're going to be jumping into a conversation that Jodie and I were having. Um, I don't know what was said before we jump in or after, and we haven't got time to do our research. So I'm just going to make up the beginning of a story. We're then going to unfold that piece of paper and just to see if it segues in nicely, but it might make no sense. So, um, Jodie, tell me about the time when, uh, remember when you dressed up as Britney Spears to go to school muff today? What happened then? <laughs> Um, and uh, she was again having to go at all the blokes she ever dated stuff like that she wouldn't shut up about it something really really burnt her in the past something she'd really not had a lot, a lot of luck but she made an interesting revelation there and this is just shows you what when you have kids that they're dicks um, they've got a cat and, her, mm. and their cat is called um, Sarah Pascoe after her daughter's favourite comedian that's right that's right Sarah Pascoe yeah I did know that and I think Catherine and Sarah are very good friends as well, which makes it even funnier. <laughs> I love the fact that at seven, she's got a favourite comedian. That's quite impressive. My no- I've got a favourite comedian, and it's not you. <laughs> but the fact that you, not only is she your favourite, but you love her so much that you want to name your cat after her. It's just, it's like that constant reminder of someone who is better <laughs> than you in your house every time. And they're using the word with such affection as well. <laughs> because the, just that, that's, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's like death by a thousand cuts. It's, are you, it's, are it's you suggesting Sarah Pascal is going to be in for uh, an accident? Quite well, soon. I don't know who Sarah Pascal is. Sarah, oh, Sarah Pascal. Oh, Sarah, whoops. Sarah <laughs> Which, which reminds me, actually, of um, now that the Rugby World Cup's over, drug cheat um, Warren Gatland has... Uh, he won't shut up, will he? Oh, what's happened with Warren? I, 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 know, I know information, but it's information that I'm not meant to know. So I don't know at what point what I know becomes public. <laughs> what? What's, what, what's Warren Gatland? Oh, sorry. What, yeah. Oh, I was thinking. <laughs> no, no, you got it wrong. I'm talking about the New Zealand coach, Warren Gatland. Okay, okay. Nick, oh, but what bleep, do you have? Bleep that name, Nick. Bleep that name. I'm not sure if that's out yet. <laughs> Choppy waters are coming. Choppy waters are coming. <laughs> wow. So, uh, oh, we're three minutes in, and you've already already said something litigious. Yes. So, uh, what did you? Uh, oh, what were you talking about, Warren Gatland? 
No, no, I just mentioned it. Warren Gat was, Gatlin was in the uh, in the news a lot, of course, because you know, he was the New Zealand coach. And, of course, um, England beat New Zealand. And uh, every time I saw him, I just thought of those times when you were accused, accidentally accusing him of being a drug cheat. <laughs> well, they could have done with Well, you never know. Done. You never know these days. <laughs> it's easy just to throw out that everyone's a drug cheat and some of it's going to stick. Exactly. It makes us feel better about it's, our inadequate performances. It's like it's like those um, those emails you get from uh, people that are try that, that tell you that they've installed malware and they they just throw out that stuff. I know what you've done on your computer. <laughs> I know I, you know those ones and they they must it must work because they obviously make money from it and they go i know what you've done and you go god i have done some horrific things <laughs> on my computer i better pay them otherwise they're going to share it around <laughs> i wonder if anyone's just confessed up and gone to the police <laughs> you got me boys <laughs> take me in the police take me send, in. Out, send out a blanket thing and we know what you've done if you if you you know, if you if you come in and and, and, and you know tell us what you did now, then uh, you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna dramatically reduce your sentence. I think that's a pretty a pretty good. You just let's use what the yeah. spammers are proving every single day. Yeah, yeah. That, there's no way you can afford all that kit. Come on, boys. Come on, rounds. <laughs> yeah, that would work well. But um, I'm trying to think what's been happening. So I've been out filming. <laughs> oh, I thought you said I've been out running. I've been out filming running. Again? I still can't run, but um, You're I've been out. Reese again? Yeah, I've Do been out. stuff. This was, uh, I haven't talked about this already, have I? What, where you were doing the Canterbury run? Oh, have I already discussed that? <laughs> yes. What did I, oh, we discussed that last week. Ignore that. Edit, Nick. <laughs> Edit, Nick. Edit. I was excited about that. So, I... I haven't out. been out running. <laughs> Although I have been out running. I Since my Pete Reese run, I've done one more run oh, that yeah. was a half marathon. The thing is, if you were genuinely injured, you wouldn't be running a half marathon. No, because it was the craft half. I was, oh, when was that? That was this weekend. It was That's amazing. It. New record, four hours, 15 minutes to finish. <laughs> Not bad for a half. And um, I, I forget, I've only done it twice. That's actually slightly better than my half, uh, half PP. <laughs> Have you done the craft half before? No, remember. no, I've not. I've not. I've always forgotten when it is. And <laughs> I still I still have. That's amazing. Did um, CFTB do it? He didn't. He wasn't there this year. He was missed. Was he, and, was he missed? He, oh, he was. And the the people coming through, there weren't, there weren't really any front runners absolutely gunning it this year uh, but it, it just you forget how far behind we tend to be of everyone else we came into the finish and there was nothing there they closed the food stands they closed the bar there wasn't even evidence of a band that had been there there were no people left in the event village <laughs> there wasn't just... there, there weren't people clearing up right at the back telling you you were fat and slow were there there was one. She wasn't telling us that, but Lucy, <laughs> she was actually the organiser. The initial, original organiser was oh, sweeping really? with us. But what was quite funny, because what I love about it is, and so do bad, if you haven't done or heard of the Craft Half, it's Wimbledon Common, all for charity, um, and you do two laps where there's three beer stops on the way. But you can basically self-serve yourself to as many beers as you like. As you like. So, um, so uh, wait a minute. You can self-serve. 
you've got in trouble for self-serving before. Is this a genuine self-serve or a comedy self-serve? This was, I mean, by the second lap, whatever's left on the tables, because we're at the back, you can just drink your way through. So we, after the first, so the, the fourth beer stop, which is the first one of the second lap, we just loaded up our backpack with all the beers to then drink on the way around. They then were pouring um, from a tap. They actually had barrels at the second beer stop. So we filled four litre jugs of water, uh, bottles of water with the beer. And unfortunately, the, the lovely helpers who were there, no one had told them what they were doing. And so they were just stuck in the middle of the common with empty bar- bar- barrels of beer, a pump, and no idea like where to go, how to get these back. <laughs> but such a good event, so fun. So we've got to get more do-batters there next year because it's a street child as well, which is amazing. And this kind kind of time of year, there's not much fun happening anyway. There isn't that. That is an odd time of year for it to be happening. Was did it rain a lot? I keep. No, it, it seems to have rained lots and lots recently. Amazing weather, and I just love the fact it starts at eleven thirty as well, so you can wake up with a hangover. Oh, that's good. Make you amble your way over there, and then yeah, we even brought some friends who weren't runners and they loved it. So, uh, but what is, what have you been up to? Nothing. Oh, oh no, I've been I've been doing um uh, a little bit of running and stuff like that, um. But uh, yeah. how are you feeling about the challenge? I'm um, about the bet. Twenty two, twenty one, twenty. I put on a bit of weight, so I, I need to lose that again. That's really bad. That's the that's probably the biggest issue. I uh, mean, Christmas but, is the time to lose weight. Christmas is the perfect time to lose weight, isn't it? <laughs> if there's if there's one time of year that screams now is the time for you know, cutting back on consumption, Christmas is that. Um, so yeah, so uh, I um, I have I have some set myself some mini goals, okay. and uh, with uh, Coach Cam we've refocused, um, and so the plan of action kicks in. Well, has kicked in, and so this is. This is it's come down to essentially yeah. the entire way that I've gone through the exams in my entire life. Last minute cramming, um, pure luck. Um, uh, let's see what happens. So essentially the night before your race, <laughs> you're going to wake up running constantly all the way through the night yep. in an attempt to hope that by the morning your body will know how to run so well that you then smash the 5k i think that's pretty good actually that wasn't <laughs> actually that wasn't my strategy but you've inadvertently given me the strategy this is working better than i hoped i mean the good thing is that when you do that kind of cramming you do take a lot of pro plus and caffeine so you will be peaked ready to <laughs> we peaked to do something yeah what is your i forget i forgot that you've got a coach what does your coach make of the fact that you were reflecting his ability as a coach in your performances and uh, it's not looking good right now. Uh, I, ha- I constantly say to him, I constantly apologise to him um, that my, well, I, I constantly say that it's not a reflection on him, the fact that um, I have an up and down relationship to, um, to running. And so I think that's, I th- well, I think if you're any coach, if you're not like, a pro athlete coach or something that's surely everyone's relationship to to this kind of thing yeah um, so you're saying he's got to work with you basically yeah exactly I, i'm not saying you know, um but 
I just think, you know, he's he's obviously he's like very realistic about it. You know, ages ago he could have just told me to fuck off, to be honest. Uh, which I think, which uh, you probably which, has, and I, you haven't realised. No, you, you, you just haven't opened up your emails that you're training. It's just, it's just you in letters, big it letters. Says, it says on every day of the week, "fuck off, fuck off." Fuck. <laughs> it's finally a trend plan you might speak to. <laughs> yeah, no, but he, uh, yeah, he's um, he's very patient. He's very patient, but he, he, you know, the thing is. When people see great potential, when a coach that can see great potential is willing to work with someone like me, you know, then they know that they're going to get the best out of me. It's just, you know, you have to peak it at the right time. That's it. Okay. And, and when is that time? I don't know. I'm, we're taking like a, t- a decade long view on this one that at some point it might, it might happen. But, um, but we're, you know, I wouldn't say we're confident. I would say we're deluded. <laughs> well, I'm deluded. He's quite clear that he's. I think I can pull it out of the bag. I've got to surprise him and myself in order for this to happen. So, um, well, I'm going to put it out here, out there, Libby. No, 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 no. no. I don't want any negativity. It, no, that's not negativity. Just, 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 uh, just helping yeah. you out. Libby, if you're listening, um, probably it needs advice. Swimming be. lessons. Swimming lessons. Maybe a bike. Buy him a bike for Christmas. Um, tickets to flights to. Iron Man Austria. I mean, that's that's divorce territory, that isn't it? Yeah, you've driven yourself to it, mate. So, uh, but but Ivor, uh, have you seen what's happened to our favourite uh, friend of the <laughs> other than Ali, who we've got coming up in this episode? Uh, our favourite female friend of the podcast, Camille. Oh, right. What? What's happened? What? She's obviously. I mean, most people know that she's broken the twenty-four hour. Uh, record at the 24-hour world champs which america absolutely smashed uh, the females just destroyed it but what was amazing she posted her stats or a graph or something like that i can't remember now and on facebook of, of her 24 hours she went to uh she had quite a few toilet breaks she had two naps and she was sick a few times I think she had eight, it was seven or eight toilet breaks. And that's the thing. She's just broken the world record. She's gone to sleep twice and thrown up and stopped to the toilet seven, eight times. You've got to wonder how much more she can get out of that. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Un- incredible. And, and we, we're lining her up at the moment to, um, to get her back on, just to talk us through it, because I'd love to know... What, what of that was planned what of it was expected and what of it was distressing and completely not to plan um because I've, I've never heard of anyone having naps in a 24-hour race that's amazing yeah again again probably not the most filmable or exciting uh, documentary ever and here Camille is having a nap. <laughs> She's the seventh two of the, of the, the documentary. But JD, if you want to get that 5K time, clearly the strategy, if you want to get a record, maybe have a nap. Bit of a puke? Maybe have a nap, yeah. Do you know, I've, one, one thing that I have never really focused on in terms of my health, Mm. is sleep mm. I've never until I got the Garmin 
I didn't really know or really pay attention to how much sleep I got. And um, what's become abundantly clear over the last like few months of having it is that I don't get anywhere near enough sleep. <laughs> is that is that because of too many Netflix recommendations or the kids or just a little bit too much lovemaking? It's uh, well, it's certainly not that last one, um, uh, especially if uh, Libby's listening. <laughs> That's just kidding. Um, the it's more. I don't know. I just stay up late. I I get up early and I stay up late. Mm. I just, it's always been a thing. Like it's I've a never, habit. Yeah. It's happy. I can quite happily, even if I've got work to do, I can quite happily um, work. But I always like to have like TV on as well. Mm. You know, so you've got company. Um, <laughs> and it's always a bit, <laughs> well, you know, you know what I mean? Do, do you yeah. ever do that? You yeah. Know, I know. I'll put yeah. something, you know, you'll watch like Star Wars for the millionth time or something. But you just got it in your background. It feels kind of familiar while yeah. you're alone. And it's like three in the morning working, but not working very productively, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so it's uh, and, and I, I wondered that the impact that I, ha- I have on it, and it, it goes in peaks and troughs around like work. Like if it's if you're really busy or it's really stressful, then I don't get any sleep because then I pinned my best weeks of running mm. to the weeks that I had most amount of sleep, um, and then it all went to shit mainly because of uh, uh, getting to that cycle and everything. Have you do you do you get do you get a lot of sleep? Do you what what is your and I don't want to hear about love making, thank you. <laughs> well, what? we're gonna Nick gives an insert. <laughs> no, he's, oh, not pardon? Gonna, he's, he's not gonna play any love making in there. Um, we haven't sent that through yet. So, connection issues. But uh, no, I I know what you mean. I I struggle sometimes. It's but as like like with you, depends on stress actually. Um, but. I tend to be okay. I always fall asleep very easily. In fact, Briggs and I kind of have this thing at the moment of just falling asleep in front of the TV at about 10 o'clock and then waking up at one in the morning completely. I've done that. The thing is, I've, I've done that loads. Like recently, mm. like in the last few years, it's as though you've got narcolepsy or something. I never see it coming either. Like mm. I'll be sat, like, Libby will go to bed at like 10 or something and then I'll go, oh, I'll be up in a second and I'll, I'll, I'll still be working on my laptop and watch the thing. And I'll even have like a cup of tea there. Mm. And then all of a sudden, yeah, I wake up at like two in the morning and I'm like, I've still got the laptop on me, the tea still. And I'm like, when did I fall asleep? Like, it's like some kind of like weird narcolepsy. And um, and that's, ha- that's happened more and more often. But also, the weird thing is that when I've got my Garmin on, it, those are the periods where I have the deepest sleep. And I'm like, what? You'd think the deepest sleep would be you lying down yeah. you know, in a bed properly. Yeah, so I guess those power, power naps are true. But I, I know that sleep has a massive impact on uh, certainly recovery, certainly on weight, on metabolism, on hunger, all these things. In fact, we should get someone on to talk about this, shouldn't we? I think um, a friend of mine, Chris, is uh, he's a he's kind of a brain expert. Yeah. So uh, maybe it reminds me to potentially get him on. I mean, what, what do you you do do batters do you find with your training that your sleep actually changes when i've trained for things like the mds um i just sleep every i just constantly fall asleep but i also have an issue with waking up in pools of sweat from muscle burn really yeah yeah if i'm training really hard i'll sometimes just be absolutely soaked um which i'm, I'm not someone who 
sweats very much typically um not all the time but heavy training weeks that's something to be interested to know actually of people like camille and and her you know the likes of her who regularly are doing 100 mile weeks plus if the body adapts to that mileage or if it is constantly stressed and you are getting that that afterburn effect and does that leach into your sleep or not yeah because um, if you get if you get the afterburn effect that's got a that will impact on your sleep like i remember the first first time i did uh like multi-day ultra i, like, I couldn't sleep like the for the for the first night at all because my my core was just just mm. boiling like mm. so hot, like my body was just like, what the fuck is going on? Like with inflammation. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it, it was kind of crazy. But yeah, we read reading a book called, um, oh, I think it's called The Smarter Way to Sleep by Sean Stevenson. I think that's what it's called. Okay. Um, but yeah, but it's just this really interesting, like I, if I want to go to sleep, like I, sometimes, you know, you're, like, you're really tired in the middle of the day. And I found that if I wanted to go to sleep, I couldn't just sit there and go to sleep. I had to lie down mm. and put a, a, like a load of blankets on top of me so they were heavy. So I had weight on top of me, which allowed me to go to sleep during the day. If wow. I, and, then, and then this thing's come out about you can now buy weighted blankets because they're like anxiety blankets. I didn't know this at all. Like Libby's like fantasy. You get these weighted blankets. And I was just like, oh, because I was like kind of doing that without realizing this other thing so i can go to sleep during the day with weight on me it's really weird <laughs> so if we if we sit on you so if you be if you're in a wrestling match some guy was you trying to pin you i just fall asleep <laughs> <laughs> gonna send it because they do have swaddling clothes where with a baby you're <laughs> you have to swaddle me. Anyone that's it, has everyone realised in my MDS tent mates, they had to swaddle me every night, so I slept. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking about blankets, there's um, there's quite an interesting discussion in the group at the moment. that's quickly find it to do with whether they think races should give out full blankets at the beginning of a race when it's cold. Beginning of a race, they've stopped. Yeah. they've stopped doing that now, haven't they? At the beginning of a race, surely what? you have to wear your own clothes, and then they go and give all those. They throw it away and then they give it to a charity. Isn't well, that part of the normal thing that happens now? But that's that's why I was wondering. So was, Scott Dutton had, um, had come in and basically said, what what do you think, people? And um, Runners World had initially asked the question. But is, is that now seen as the standard approach of races that they now – races expected to clean up clothes and donate them to charity or is that one of those glastonbury tents are always packed up and given to charity kind of mythical stories that we like to believe is true but actually we're just littering clothes oh i don't know i don't know because it's hard hard to know now that we're all hyper aware of every bit of plastic it's hard to know what is the right thing to do because in essence you're you're either throwing away clothing or you're wearing a, a plastic bag um or a foil blanket or and and you know understandably being a an internet group a lot of people are like just you know man up or just deal with it which is obviously not not the solution because some people won't do that <laughs> man up man up in relation to what just like just put up with the cold just be stop complaining like well does it does, does it on a, on a serious note does it does it really make a difference like if you're at the start of the marathon 
does it really make a difference? It's, I mean, I imagine if you stood there for like an hour, if you've got that stupid system that Brighton have where you, you go into pens and stuff like that, that, that makes sense. But, but if but you're in someone races, like... Say you're New York Marathon, you have to get up so early yeah, yeah, to go to that, and then travel. you've stood, you know, stood on these bridges with the wind. But aren't and, you? you know, but but what, has, what happens in New York? Do you do you have to put all your stuff away before you ever get on the bus or something? How does that work? I've, I've not because normally you can you can right up until the race with a lot of races, especially like big marathon stuff like that. You can put your stuff away in the. Um, uh, yeah, potentially, but you say you're if you're doing something like London if, if you're good for age start you're fine if you're um if your championship start you're okay but the other starts depending on which one which color the lottery of which color you've got you might have to put your bags away half an hour before yeah and if you're trying to run a sharpish time you probably want to be in your barrier quite early just to ensure that you're not stuck behind loads of people and you're near the the front of your pen and if it is bad weather you know standing for half an hour in the cold that's not that's just not nice let alone whether it's good for your running or or good for you in general it's just not a, a, a nice experience in any way and so it it does it feels like it it's one of those issues that we need to well race organizers need to address because people are gonna either throw away clothes or use plastic bags and but maybe there isn't a good answer to it um and unless someone comes up with a recyclable because those foil blankets are they recycled can you recycle those if they are if they can be then great that maybe that's the best answer um but there must be some way in which people can because i'm not convinced of the the clothes given to charity i don't think that necessarily happens and actually it causes quite a lot of work as well and what are the logistics of like foil blankets and recycling those quite easy to do versus having to gather sweatshirts from every single runner <laughs> 800 think, sweatshirts so they're like oh we've got loads of sweatshirts we need like sweatpants let's <laughs> say you're london marathon they're not gonna if if there was a really bad year and new york could be freezing some years you know they can have full on chicago as well you can have full-on snow snowstorms and um boston last couple of years so they can't handle 30,000 bits of clothing being taken back in you know that's that's something that's a monumental effort when the roads are essentially closed and they're already trying to get different buses back to the bag drops so um yeah interesting what what do you think do bad is is this is it is this an issue you know are we just are we just going to have to say in some things in life we are going to have to create waste or is there a solution that we just haven't thought of that should be adopted by most races um yeah interesting well on from running a marathon to running it wasn't even running a marathon was it it's a terrible segue What's good for <laughs> well preparing what how should we segue to ali from from it keep from keeping your outer hebrides warm just before a race to running in the outer hebrides <laughs> I mean, it's not great, but we'll go with it. We'll go with it. <laughs> Take it away, Nick.
Every year, thousands of ordinary decent men succumb to a terrible, devastating disease. Brought on by middle-age angst, dissatisfaction with their life choices, and hatred of their families, these men are seduced by the lure of lycra and the opportunity to take revenge on the world by boring those close to them with their training plans. Triathlon could affect anyone. Don't let it affect you or your loved ones. Please give generously to the World Anti-Triathlon Society, or TWATS. Just £2 a week allows us to get into a transition area and switch around their swim-to-bike kit, thus creating enough confusion to force them to ponder their life choice. Donate today, and let's kick triathletes in the saddle. So, Dubad, as you know her as our, as our co-presenter at times, but we've got her back in because she's been doing so much epicness, ridiculousness, do-batteriness. So, to explain... Well, years of running in the space of about three weeks, it's the lovely Ali Bailey. Hey! Hey! Hello, David. How are you doing, buddy? Are you alive then? I'm very well, thank you. I'm a little bit tired, but I'm very, very well. Trying not to be depressed because it's autumn. Oh, no. And because it's Ali Bailey and that's just the chemicals, right? It's just my chemical brain. It's just reacting badly to autumn. I actually think it is. I think it's this time of year. I think everyone gets a bit like uh, seasonal affective. Oh God, it's dark at five o'clock. How did that happen? Especially when the clock is back. Actually, do you think I, I was kind of hoping that because you'd be out in the lovely countryside, that you'd almost be taking in the the changing of the seasons, and that it might be nicer than being in the city in autumn. Oh no, it definitely is. But I think you know, um, the, other, the other day I was out doing something silly, and uh, it got dark at half past four, and I was like, okay, when's the dawn going to come? <laughs> The dawn's not going to come till six o'clock. That is over 12 hours of darkness. Whereas if you were out in June... You stand there and wait. Yeah, I just sat there and I was like, hello, darkness, my old friend. Um, no, but then if you're out in June running, um, if you're doing like South Downs or something, you've only got six hours of darkness. So it's different. Yeah. It's a yeah. long time for it to be dark. And like some people go to work in the dark and get home in the dark and work in an office all day with no natural light. And they do that for like four months a year. It's mental. We already know if we know the people who know you personally, you've already turned away from the dark in the past, haven't you? So, wow, this is deep. (laughs) I've turned away from the dark. That would be very cryptic for some people. Um, Hello, Tom, are you listening? That is not to say that I was ever a triathlete, just in case, or a cyclist, just in case. (laughs) But where to start? I mean, you've, I, I think, any one of the Viking ship or the piece of string, or the race across the, I'm going to get it wrong, the Hebrides, the Shetlands, the Faroe Islands, whichever right. it may be. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown, and then you can choose which one to do, because I know we've got a limited time scale. I reckon right? we can squeeze two in. Okay, so since I last spoke to you, I did talk about uh, pack raft gate, which was from uh, a week crossing Scotland, running and using a pack raft in your bag. I'm pretty sure I spoke to you about that at some point somewhere. Not then, on the potty, though. Oh, right. OK. So I did that. I ran across Scotland from Fort William to Inverness on my feet, also using a pack raft, which we had to inflate and deflate whenever we wanted to use it and we had to carry it. Oh, in fact, we did. Talk, that's the one with yes. Pete had hand. Gotcha. That's, okay. where we, that's the one where we damaged Pete and James Appleton. Um, oh. Then I went off and did the London Ultra, which was quite good. We'll talk about the London Ultra at some other points. We need to go into that maybe when we do an intro outro. Um, then I went and did uh, the Outer Hebrides Traverse, which was um, five days running the Hebridean Way in the Outer Hebrides, which has never been done before by a woman. It's been done by one man, Jez Bragg, I believe. Uh, but nobody else has done it. We did that. Uh, then I came back and I... Um, that, one, that one I think is worth discussing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. That one, that one was pretty epic. Because you... 
from my from from an outside view it looked as if you you got a team of pretty awesome women but also women who hadn't been training for months and months in preparation they were just like do you want to do this we're doing it tomorrow uh, I don't wouldn't go that far, but I did basically. I put out a call for test pilots because that's what I do, and said, "Does anyone want to run the Hebridean Way?" And I realised loads of people would say yes. So the Hebridean Way runs from Battersea to Stornoway up in the Hebrides, and um, it's new. It was only open in 2017, um, and it is a national trail, but it's new, so it's not marked really. It's got some like posts in the ground that have got a little sticker that says Hebridean Way, but no arrows or anything like that, and uh, no one's been on it. So uh, there's no trail. See, I assumed when they opened a trail, it was more that they formalised what was already happening. That's it. They formalised the trail. There is no trail. So it's not like they've dug a trail. They've done bits of it, but not a lot of it. Um, so not a lot of people have done it. People have done bits. But just to be specific, there are two Hebridean ways. There's a cycling route, which is 185 miles, which is yeah. on roads. And then the running route, which is a, or walking route, which is 158 miles, which is not on roads. Uh, good luck getting a bike on that route because you ain't doing it. You're 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 sinking <laughs> a peat bog. Um, so they've opened this route, and uh, Rat Race wanted to do an event called the Outer Hebrides Traverse, where you run the whole length of it in five days, and then they were going to add on to the end an extra thirty miles going up to the butt of Lewis. But that is an unknown. We don't know what's up there. It could be peat bogs. It could be. It's not part of the trail, and it won't be part of the trail for another thirty years. But they were and, like, and it- hey, let's just add that on. And I was like, okay then. <laughs> And when you say it's a way, is this all, because in my head there's lots of islands or like how how broken up is it? Really broken up. So I think there's three or four islands, you could call them. And to get between the islands, you need to get a local ferry. Um, there is no other way. You can't hire a boat. You have to get the ferry because it's very dangerous when the tides are very low and you never know when the tides are going to be low. So in our circumstance, we were booked on two ferries, lunchtime crossings at one o'clock. Both, both of them were cancelled because the tides were too low, which meant we had to wait till the four o'clock crossing. And they're not like tubes. They don't go every hour. It's like, oh, it's not happening. So we have to sit around in a tiny cafe waiting for the next the next tube. That's very. Had you been racing to get there on time as well? Well, not racing. We, right, okay. So basically, I'm going to start at the beginning. I, I put this out on my socials. I got loads of 30 people came to me and said, I want to do it. All of them were men. And I was like, this is annoying me <laughs> because every time I turn up at a test pilot event, it's all, it's all men and just me, which is fine. Um, except it's not fine because I think women just think they can't do it. So I said to Jim, I'm going to find women and just do it. Just women, because I just want to see what the difference is between the dynamics, of the group. And also I'd like to give women the opportunity to step forward in an environment where they don't feel judged or feel like they're going to be the slowest or mm. feel like they're going to have to keep their mouth shut about the fact that they're on their period or they're tired or because they've got these guys who are being all alpha because guys just don't on these trips i found they don't show their emotions if they're suffering yeah. they won't say because that's <laughs> not cool whereas i'm like i don't like it i need a way um so i got these women together they all they all kind of applied and i said look you know this is what it is. Do you think you can do it? And and I said, I think you can do it. It's not about speed because we are traversing a great big piece of land and we're going to do it together. And um, it's not a race. It's, it's us trail, trailblazing and making the route and seeing if we can do it. And so some of them had marathon experience. A couple of them had done a couple of ultras. Some of them had done an ultra but not a marathon. None of them had done multi-day stuff. None of them. So one of them is training for NDS um uh, Lorna Spain came along and she hadn't run properly for months because she'd been injured so she'd been like fast hiking and trying to get back from injury 
but they were all so up for it. And I was like, this is brilliant. We didn't meet before. We had a couple, we had a Facebook group. We had, we supported each other through that. Um, and then, yeah. And did we, you, we, did we, you all have different personalities like the A team kind of uh, formed together? Yeah, we had different powers. All of us had different powers. Um, <laughs> all of us were very different. Like a couple of them were like slightly older with kids. Then you've got the younger ones. There's a girl called Amanda who's an absolute beast, who's a very fast half marathon, you know, 10K OCR yeah. runner, but never done anything like this before. Um, and uh, yeah, we had two, uh, we had a pharmacist, we had a doctor, so we had shit loads of drugs. We had uh, we had uh, a woman called Gillian who lives in Scotland. So she had the upper hand in that she's done mini spine and she's done a couple of bits and she's trained in Scotland. She was hilarious. Uh, Laura, who else did we have? Alice Kirk, who was the oldest of the group, um, who I've done stuff with before. Um, and yeah, it was a really mixed group. A girl called Kim, who was amazing. Uh, How did you find them? Just on the in- internet. I used to think called Instagram. I don't know if you know about it. Um, I'm not really a fan of it, but I, I, I sometimes use Instagram to um, help spread the message about Did they see the kit you were going to wear? Oh, yeah. Um, and so yeah. they then... <laughs> I actually did this thing where I laid my kit out. Because um, what I do is when I pack, I've got it all in, in, in piles because I'm very organised. So I might as well take a photo of it, put it on the internet and say to people, hey, man, I'm using this coat and I'm using these shoes and these socks because that's what I've used before they've worked. I like to call it a flat lay. Works really well. No, so, called a kit lay, by the way. Just oh, sorry. Called okay. a kit lay. Yeah. Okay, that's probably why I'm not getting very much hashtag engagement on it. That's true. Um, that's true. So... But basically, yeah, I gave them all the advice, all this stuff. We supported each other on the internet. We had a couple of Facebook lives on how to pack your bag because that's important. And it was great. And then we all met uh, up and we when we got the ferry. That was when we, the first time we met and um, and had a bit of a chat um, about pace and about uh, I decided to put in a separation policy if basically it was getting to the point where, you know, two or three people were holding the group back to the point where we might not finish. We were going to have to talk about putting them in a car. Mm. Um, we had two support vehicles. So um, was that decided at the beginning yeah. then, before you started? You say decided, it was talked <laughs> about. But I don't yeah. think anybody, everyone was so excited on this ferry that we were going to do the whole 185 miles, which I knew was punchy, that I think they listened, but they didn't take in this idea that maybe <laughs> we wouldn't be able to do it. Um, and I kept repeating myself you know it might be it might and they were like yeah okay oh my god the dolphins and I was like right okay this is like talking to a bunch of toddlers while Peppa Pig's playing in the background it's really difficult um, <laughs> and uh so yeah I had in my head this idea of this if something happened if someone got injured or if somebody was doing two miles an hour and the rest of us are doing six that mm. it's our, my duty of care to take care of the majority of the group so you know but to that point it that I don't think that really sunk in and everyone has everyone as much as we were a group has their own interests at heart and their own interests are to finish this thing and yes. not to not to not finish it um so yeah um and the first few days the first couple of days were great because everyone was like excited I think when the, we hit the terrain because the first day was all, all the terrain road peat bog mountain hill slippery rocks if anyone's done the ultra tour of Aaron that second is it a second day or the, yeah, it's the first second. day when you come down that hill and there's yeah. those peat bogs that's what it was like for most of the time with rocks and you can't, so it's not fast. And then occasionally you'd hit a little bit of gravelly trail and it would be great, but it was absolutely beautiful and amazing. And the first couple of days went really well, but we did have stronger people who were pulling ahead and we didn't have the support crew. We had two vans. We didn't have the support crew to support two pace groups. So it was a case of saying, listen, everyone, we, you know, we either stick together. We can't have these two pace groups going on um yeah gonna do our best um and then on the third and was that causing conflict or were people fairly open to that I wouldn't say it was causing conflict I would say it was 
obvious that there were faster people, slower people. And when you've got that situation, the people at the back sometimes it what makes them feel like shit. I know because I've been at the back. Uh, it makes you feel like shit. And um, so it's just managing managing that really. Um, and it's a learning curve for everybody. But the people at the front who were going faster didn't have the experience of multi day. So I'm trying to say, slow your boots because <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen next. I really don't. Um, and then it got to the point, I think the third day was the, the, the day where it was like, we're going to have to go through the night to keep our mileage up because we were going to have to wait for ferries. We got to the ferries fine, but the ferries that we wanted, the one o'clock ferries were cancelled. So we had to wait till the four o'clock one. So we're losing three hours mm. sitting there doing nothing um, when we could have been running. And um, and so, you know, we were like, right, we're going to have to go into the night. And a couple of the girls were like, I don't want to go into the night. Um I don't, yeah, I'm tired. I'm fine with what I've done today. I'm going to get in the van, which was fine. And then the group that did go on into the night, we ended up doing two miles an hour. And, <laughs> two and miles an hour. <laughs> although I think depending on the terrain, it's so hard to know what speed, what pace that really is. Oh my God, the terrain that night, it was pitch black, pitch, pitch black, rainy, peat bogs. We saw eight or nine dead sheep, no alive ones. <laughs> just like your head torch would catch this horror beast. Like, oh, what's that? It's a dead sheep. We kept falling over, proper falling over on our asses. We were laughing, but through tiredness. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a caffeine bullet at one point. It felt like I'd taken ecstasy. I was like, oh my God, everything's amazing. My head torch started to go shiny. And we just were like, at half 10, we were like, in someone's back garden, we were like, we've got to stop. This is stupid. Like, we'll come back tomorrow. And thank God we did, because the next day when we got there. Oh, you just slept in someone's garden? No, no. We went back to the to the oh, to our hostel. We got picked up. Yeah. The next morning when we got back to where we were, we looked up. We were like, Jesus Christ, there's this massive mountain with like a sheer drop down the other side. If we'd have done that at night, it would have just been stupid. So it was a really good decision. So how, how were you navigating it? Were you, on, were you following a, an OS map or...? We had phones or we had a guy called Gary Thompson with us who's like a proper um nav guy and he does a lot of the rat race stuff. He's absolutely mm. brilliant. He was the only man in the group that kept basically he was there for us to use him to nav. And uh, he had the map. Um and the Hebridean Way is marked by these posts that you go to the next post. So you look for these white posts, which look like fence posts, and there's a lot of fences on the Hebridean. Assume they're not glow in the dark either. No, they're not glow in the dark. And they have a little <laughs> sticker on them that says Hebridean Way, but no arrow. So that's handy because you can go anyway from the post. So you get to a post, you look for the next post, and that's how you do it. But the posts are sometimes a third of a mile between the posts, and mm-hmm. some posts have been knocked over, some posts have been eaten by sheep, and some posts aren't there. Um, so we needed to use the map. We did go wrong a couple of times by like a mile, but um, that was it. But at night, that's really hard because you can't see the posts. So mm-hmm. we're using compass, and it's honestly hilarious. Like. Just try getting across that terrain. You can't see anything. And there's massive rocks. It's really, really mountainous. There's holes in the peat bogs that go up to your thigh. Um, so like we, we did our best that night. But th- that was the night when we realised we were going to get to Stornoway, which is the end of the official Hebridean Way, but we weren't going to be able to get to the Butter Lewis unless we had an extra day, which we didn't because we had flights mm. booked. So um, we made that decision that night. Um, and we also made the decision that I would step out of the of the thing and support the slower people and just take them on sections they could manage and then let the faster people go ahead um because I just wanted everyone to complete the as much as they could and so I was wow. like I'll just take it and of course I want to get the FKT but I, I don't not at the expense of other people's experience so uh we made that decision and then in the morning I said to the three girls who were two of them were injured one of them was just a, a bit slower I'm going to do this. Uh, and the two that were injured were like, no, you're not. We're going to crew for today. And we just, we want you to do it with everyone else, which was 
which was really nice like because they were taking they they wanted to finish it but they were taking it they were taking off the team in their own way and that they were yeah. like I'll sit today out and then tomorrow I might feel better um uh and and eventually all three of them decided that, that was what they were going to do which was great because even though they weren't running with us they still crewed us that day and it was really lovely and they were great at the checkpoints they made the sandwiches and coffee and stuff um they're so probably had, having a lovely time to be honest oh they? we got to the <laughs> checkpoint oh we got to the checkpoint and they were like hi guys and we were like all right uh, and they were like we'd done like 13 miles knackered got up at like five we were up at four thirty, five o'clock in the morning to get ready to go like, like first dawn they were like oh yeah we've been for a slap up breakfast at a hotel oh yeah I had like full English and I'm like yeah all right you can shut up <laughs> um but they were they were lovely and I said to them you know at the end of the day you've done the whole Hebridean way you've just had a different journey to us you haven't you haven't run the whole thing you've you got in the van for a bit but so what because you've never done anything like this and it's it's learning for everyone including me because I've not done um anything on this sort of terrain I just know to keep it in the keep some gas in the tank um and then on the last day uh we had nine miles of road running at the end which all of us were like fuck that because uh we, we hated road because it just because you've got to run on it haven't you as you can like trot down <laughs> and stuff and uh so and all of them got and we all we all met up nine miles from the end and we all ran together into Stornoway so that we finished as a squad um and we all finished together which was really really awesome and uh and yeah it took us four hours four hours four days and seven hours moving um not moving sorry four days seven hours from the the time we started in the morning to the time we finished on the Friday. Um, so, yeah, it was, we were the first, first women to ever have run it or walked the whole thing in that time. So um, pretty good. But, yeah, it was epic. It was beautiful. It was amazing. It's- and, and how was it different? Because you mentioned how you'd, firstly, you took a lot of people who'd never done anything like it before, but also it was the first, other than, um, other than having the navigator, the first all- female group you'd, you'd taken what were the differences in, in how people were reacting and how people took on the challenge um there was so much less faff so when I've gone with groups that have had men in uh mixed groups the faff is unbelievable and I don't know if that's a male thing or female thing but we were all very very prepared in that I'd given lectures before about you know put different stuff into different dry bags so you know where it is you could just get the four dry bags out take your bits out put them back um in the mornings, everybody was on time, fed, watered, ready to go. Uh, there was no kit messing about with at all. Um, I said to them, your hotel and hostel bags are one bag and you have a for vehicle bag. You do not open your hotel bag in the vehicle. We were just really organised. So you get in, you stop, you have some, something to eat, you go again. There was no waiting around. Um, and they took instruction really, really well. And I don't know whether that was because I had been giving them instructions the whole in the run-up to it mm. or whether it's just because they're really good on admin but also if something started to happen with feet or they didn't feel well they dealt with it straight away there was no like going on and on until it got too too much um and you know and that was amazing but in any group there is always going to be differing personalities mm. I didn't there wasn't anything massive that happened there was there was quibbles and whiffles about pace and about this and about that but there's always going to be that but we dealt with them head-on so there was never a problem that couldn't be rectified. There was never, there was no alpha behaviour really. Um, and any, that behaviour was kind of pulled in before it got to the point where it's too much. And I've been on recce's before where you've had super fast guys going out the front, having basically having a go at the rest of the group because they're, they're tired or cold and they want you to catch up. And it's like, that's not what this is about. And I think they all understood this was, um, 
an adventure and a challenge not a race and men find it a lot difficult a lot more difficult to, to accept that it's life isn't a race uh than women do and you know we're built for endurance as well so we did it easy we all got without easily injured um and we all got to the end feeling like we could definitely do another 30 miles it's just we didn't have the time to do it so that was a shame we should have allowed six days but yeah it, it was different um and i think it's sort of a, a, I lost a little bit of the camaraderie you have when you have guys there. Like we had Leo taking photos and Oscar taking photos and doing the mm. video. So that was really nice because it was like, oh, we can have a few bands for the boys. Um, but I think they were actually, actually horrified at our behaviour and the way that it descended <laughs> into talking about poo on day three. And that was it. And all we would talk about is poo and <laughs> just behaving like 10 year old boys. And I think they um, were like, oh, you're, you're disgusting. <laughs> like, yeah, we are. Um, but any well, single, boys would love that. Oh well, any sing, any single sex group just turns into horror, doesn't it? You know, like one day I decided to play. What's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? Uh, and I think Leo came past at one point. It was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, nothing. We uh, can't talk like that in front of him. But um, it was different. I don't think I'd do it every time. But what I did love was the fact that a lot of those women, in fact, most of those women, achieved something that they never thought a year ago they wouldn't have thought was possible. So that is just brilliant. And I know now they're all like. They're all in the group now. So they're all in bad boy running now. Uh, it was a very good cult um, <laughs> cult exercise. Um, and they are all like looking for other adventures to do. So it's opened a door to them. So I think it worked. <laughs> and, and do you think it, because this is the first one also you've done where previously you've had kind of Jim taking part, a lot of them, where he obviously owns a company or you've had James or Pete, who are the photographers who need to get specific shots. So they've all got quite a, a big say in what's happened. And then, as you said, you do have these other alpha males. So you've got a G Law or at least your Evans, who are very self sufficient. I, I and... thought you said alpha males. That's what I said. That's that, or a G Law or at least your Evans. They're the beta males like myself. Yeah. Uh, but where, you know, they obviously are experienced and feel they know what they're doing. And, um, with, how was it to was it very different to have almost you as a clear leader who'd gathered this group and then were directing what was happening to be fair I gathered the group but I was not the leader we had Kate Worthington who is um a mountain leader and Gary Thompson who was works for Rat Race he'd, he'd done the route he's done, he lives out there he's done it loads of times it was up to them to get us safely from A to B Gary's safety briefings were hilarious. He was lecturing us how to cross roads every time. It's blow a whistle. Got to the point where we were like, oh, really? Like giggling as he was telling us about how to cross the road. Because none of us, apart from me, have ever been hit by a car. And I was drunk outside Hammersmith Apollo. So that's why I got hit by a car. Um, but those two were in charge, in charge. I think my role was more HR and and Ging people along. And, um, and yeah, but we didn't have a gym. So it was up to me to make those decisions of, you know, I think you should stop or I think it'd be better if we did this, but without upsetting people. Because at the end of the day, people have paid to do this. It's their holiday um, and they need to get as much out of it as they can. But they also need to be honest with themselves and honest with the group. So that was basically my role, which was different from before, because before I've been the person that does give people courage people encourage people give them a cuddle tell them it's all going to be okay and then slap them around the face and turn to put their big boy pants on and go out and do it but um not in an official facility so but it, it did it did work really well it was just a bit emotionally exhausting for me personally because I didn't have an, a sounding board to go to and go oh this is happening I had to, to to sort it out myself um 
but yeah, it was it was fine. And uh, and we had we had photographers. We had Leo uh, at Francis, and we had um, a guy called Oscar. And so we had to do what they were telling us to do. In the you know, could you do that again? Could you do that again? But those guys were lovely. And I think one day they we were running along the road, and they appeared with a, a load of cupcakes, like nine cupcakes with like strawberries and cream on. And I'd been being a sarcastic arsehole to them most of the time because I thought it was funny. But I couldn't think of anything sarcastic to say, so I just ate ate the cupcake. Like <laughs> they were just so nice to us, and um, and also the, the girls were like, "Look at these amazing photos that we've got to take home with us being epic." Yeah. So it all worked out. It was a, it was a really lovely group. I think we could have kept that group going for a good few months without anyone killing anyone else. Yeah. So I signed up for this race called Piece of String, right, which is a Centurion race, and there's a very funny process of signing up for it where you have to answer a load of questions, and I thought. I was it was suggested by Mr. James Elson, one of the race directors, that I sign up for it. So I did. And then um, I accidentally got into it. And he said, you're doing it. And I was like, OK, now what is the sign up process? Go on. Well, you can't go on now because it's been taken down. You have to answer 37 questions and each <laughs> has points to the gives you points for the questions. Things like what's your favorite flavor goo gel? <laughs> and um and what is your fastest marathon time? Um, and you get zero points for a certain amount and all the stupid, silly questions. Times You're allowed to 15, lie. Yeah, times 15 by the amount of ultras you've done and divide it by the amount of shoes that you've got and then divide that by six natural points. And I'm like, right. So I filled in, I wrote my application on parchment and I sealed it with a wax seal and I sent it exactly as it should have been sent. So I ended up getting into this bloody race, right? <laughs> now, a piece of string, it's called a piece of string because nobody hang on dogs and, and just to ask does everyone have to do the parchment thing you, you can do it however you want but it it, it it all depends on basically you getting in depends on whether james knows that you can do it or not because he will pick people that he knows yeah. run distance or and, and how funny it is but also he's just come back from barclay and this has been on a four-year hiatus right <laughs> so he so i'm like he's damaged himself and uh, mentally at barclay he's going to make this worse than it's been before and if you yeah. go the whole thing about piece of string is you don't know how long it's going to be. That's why it's called piece of string. You don't know where it's going to run. You don't know anything about what's going to happen to you. You turn up at a set point on a set day and you follow instructions. Okay. You don't know what kits take. You don't know what the weather's going to be like. You don't. So there's no mandatory kit list. There's no mandatory kit list, but it's the same. It's very loose. Whistle, bivy bag, warm layer, all the stuff that is general sensible mandatory kit. Yeah. Kind of insurance. But yeah, but nothing like your passport or you know a hammer or any of that weird shit that some other races make you bring. So you don't literally don't know what shoes to wear. It's that, it's that stupid. You don't know what food to take. You're not allowed crew. You're not allowed, you're not given a route. Um, and you can go and look at blogs on it, which I did. And I searched the internet for all the blogs, but because it's different every year, the blogs are fucking useless. So all it is, is these people's experiences. And a lot of them, there've been four run of four of them run before. And you look at the people, not five finishes in four years, mm two women no one woman finished and you look at the caliber of the people who are in it like the, do you remember Wooter from the Barclay Marathons he's yeah. done it. Mimi Anderson's done it and not finished <laughs> like really high caliber people so I'm like okay when I signed up I thought oh this will be fun but the more I started to look at it the more I was like I don't have a DNF yet and this could be my fucking DNF <laughs> so want, but then Jay, but then Julius was like can't be a DNF because there's no set there's no set um target for mileage so you I just think stop. There can be a DNF, no, can't you just there? Stop. You don't not finish. You just stop. And I was like, I'll keep that in my brain hole, right? So the time is ticking along. I've been doing quite a fucking lot of stuff. I was in Jersey the week before, 
doing filming for Rat Race. I've just come back from the Out Hebrides. I've done the London Ultra. I've done the York Marathon. I've been doing stuff every weekend, so I'm a little bit tired. Uh, I get the instructions, which is turn up at Goring Town Hall, which is the morale rooms, which is where they start the autumn 100-ish. That's it. And I tried to get information out of James at the autumn 100, and he wouldn't give me any. I was like, so I prepared myself for 130 or 150 miles looking at what other people had done. I was like, that's what it's going to be. My backpack weighed 11 kilograms. I had a drop bag, but he's Which like, is further than you've run in one go, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I've done 130, 130 40. 30, yeah. But, um, but that was 30, to be 38 hours to do that. So I'm like, okay, well, I, I know I can stay awake for 38 hours, but some people have been awake on this for 42 hours. <laughs> so, and I don't get to sleep. So the basic premise is you get there, you have your bag that you have to carry with you at all times to do a mandatory kit. You pay your money, it's 50 quid. You give them your drop bag, which you'll see once every five hours, which is quite a big gap. You don't know where the aid station is going to be, so you need to take water, and you don't know where you're going to be running. And I gave us a map, and the map was Chilton Wonderland backwards. And our first thing was like, fuck, it's a map. I don't know how to read maps. <laughs> started, started running, following a guy called Dave. And how many of you were there at the start? I was nine. There was supposed to be ten. Yeah. I was nine. And we're running along, and then we get to the Goring train station, and there's fucking James Adams. The I like to call them the Elson twins, James Adams and James Elson. And, it, and Adams has train tickets. We're put on a train to Reading. Once we get off at Reading, we've got to run back to Goring, which is easy. That's that's 13 miles along the Thames Far. Boom. Everyone's done that before. Easy. Run back to Goring, train station. We're given another train ticket and told to get on the train to Maidenhead. You can have a nap on the train if you want, for example, or... Not really, because the train's like 25 minutes. You have to wait <laughs> for the train, which is the most annoying thing. And so you seize up and you're all sweaty. And then James, Adams and Elsa get on the train with us to Maidenhead. They get off at Reading, like muttering weird shit under their breath. They but give the... us a map of the Thames Path on the train. And I'm like, fuck off. I hate the Thames Path. And, and is everyone running together, by the way? Uh, Ish. So the first leg I went out with, because it was all men, so I, I tried to keep up with them. There was maybe 10 minutes between me, between the two groups, the slower group and the faster group, but I was really trying to keep a lid on it. Um, and uh, and then, then you all wait to get on the train together. We all wait to get on the train together. Yeah. When we got off at Maidenhead, it split very, very quickly. And we got onto the Thames Path, and, and I was at the back very, very quickly, which was fine, because I was like, they're boys, it's fine. The rule is you will be timed out if you don't get to um, – a checkpoint you've got four hours so if the leader gets to the checkpoint i need to get in within four hours of the leader or else i'm timed out basically so and that's for uh, any checkpoint any any point checkpoint. In the, race. the problem is where the fuck are the checkpoints you don't know where the checkpoints are because they don't tell you <laughs> at all they just say within five-ish hours depending on how fast you are so so they go off pretty quick at this point i've been eating shop blocks for my breakfast which was a mistake and my stomach starts to go so i'm diving into bushes every two minutes and thinking i don't feel very well then i realize i'm on my own and i will be on my own for a long time my bag is heavy i hate the thames path I'm flat i'm wearing the wrong shoes i'm wearing trail shoes and hours and miles are ticking by and i'm just running and running on my own and after five or six hours i end up at runnymede which is where the checkpoint is and i'm in already an hour behind the group behind the wow boys. that's amazing yeah it is an hour behind them fucking brilliant so this, that's I, pretty good over five over five hours mm, given well, the quality of the top of the field yeah well it was pretty fucking high quality like 
there's a lot of Grand Slammers there. The original Grand Slammers were there. Mm. Uh, and I was like, oh. Uh, so I said to James, because I was in a mood, I'm going to be timed out. I just know. He's like, no, you're not. You're not going to be timed out. Don't think like that. I'm like, where are we going now? On the Thames Park. Keep on the Thames Park. <laughs> it's like, fucking hell. So off I went again after eating a pasty. And I just felt shit. Because it's horrible not knowing where you're going and when you're going to mm. see your bag or when you're going to see a checkpoint. or have, It's horrible. And w- when you're used to being mollycoddled, with like crew or your friends or someone to talk to it's shit and I just couldn't talk myself around I was just like I hate all of this everything is rubbish and so were you thinking five hours until my bag was that what you're aiming for yeah and I was like right five hours till my bag we started at nine o'clock so that's going to be about it's going to be dark by then so that's going to be about eight eight nine o'clock maybe and um just bear in mind, we'd done this mileage, but we'd also been on the train. So my watch said I'd done 80 miles, but actually I had <laughs> done 80 miles. I'd done about 50 miles. And I'm working that out and going, what? I don't understand. Like, that just fucks your brain, which is which you're already tired and you're already a bit hungry and a bit weird. And my tummy was bad. And are you allowed to go into shops or are you allowed to yeah. take on external? Okay. You're, not, you're allowed to go into shops, but you're not allowed to be crude. So you can't have anyone yeah. come meet you, but they can't come meet you anyway because they don't fucking know where you are because they can't track you. The trackers are private. So you can tell them, but even looking at the internet, I was looking at Centurion Facebook trying to work out when the guys had gone through the checkpoints, but you can't work it out because they could post a photo an hour later. You just don't know. Um, so it was pretty horrible. And the Thames Path is boring as fuck, slow as fuck, but also it's like road running and I was wearing the wrong shoes, but I didn't want to change my shoes in case suddenly I was diverted off the Thames Path because yeah. they could jump out at any minute and say, so you go did you wear two, did you take two pairs of trainers? Yeah, I had yeah. my road shoes in my bag, but I didn't change them because I was like, well, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. It's worse to have road shoes on when you're suddenly in the middle of Wendover Woods or wherever than it is to have trail shoes on on a road, right? You could have changed them then. No, you couldn't because you, you don't know what you've got for the next five hours. So you can't. Oh, I see. So it's in that I see. So you weren't running with you. No, no. Gotcha. I've, I've already had like eight million things of food and water yeah. and Coke in my bag. And, you know, the weather... What's the weather going to be like? Don't know, because we don't know where we're going. So we can't check yeah. the weather. So I had kit for like a really cold November night like or not it's it's a fucking ball like and all the time you're second guessing yourself and all the time you're wondering where everyone else is and all the time you're wondering is it worth it anyway because I might get timed out at the next checkpoint <laughs> and uh so but I've resigned myself to this idea I went wrong twice which is hilarious because in terms of past you should be able to run along easily but if you get the wrong acorn you can end up looping back on yourself which I did twice in the oh, same place yeah. as I've done it before um and then and then I just resigned myself to misery and I was like, this is what it must be like to be Morrissey. And this is just, and everything is just grey. And I hate it, but I've got to keep going. And uh, <laughs> and I slowed right down. So I was like, this is going into the night. We're going to the Thames Barrier. Then he's going to put us on a boat. That's what I decided was going to happen. And uh, I was, it was just really horrible. And I did and, write. And he, at each checkpoint when you came in, or aid station, what were, you, what were you changing? What decisions were you making? Did you have the right kit? Yeah, I was it was just a car with an Elson or an Adams there with just like, a, that's it. And you and your drop bag. So I was getting food out, stuffing it in my gullet hole, but I didn't feel like eating because my stomach was horrible, but I knew I had to keep eating. Um, you know, taking, that was it. Taking my crap out of my bag that I'd eaten, filling up my bottles of water. And that was it. Cause I had everything I needed in my back. And because of the fact it was raining and windy, but they're not raining and windy, it was raining, windy and warm. So I kept taking my jacket off and put it, putting it back on again. I couldn't make these decisions as to what I should be wearing. You know, I had my poles in case, 
but I only ended up using my poles in Putney to fend off drunk posh boys who were like, <laughs> hey, what are you doing? Hey, darling, come over here. It's like, just fuck yourself. I wonder if the boys had that situation. But That's when you should have gotten to give you beers and buy you drinks. No, I'm all right. You. No, because they expected something back. And I was like, no, I'm all right. <laughs> but, you know, that's the other thing. The Thames Path is dark, very, very dark. And when you're on your own on it, it can be a bit scary if you have, if you are a girl, um, which I am. Um, so I was using my poles as weapons just in case. Um, but uh, I'd resigned myself to this abject misery, but I was not going to stop unless I was pulled out. And I had that in my brain. That was mm. it. Um, and then we got to... Battersea Park and I was like oh and Drew's there and I was like oh I used to live near here like I used to live in Tooting it was like they knew all these things I hated London Thames Path Tooting mm. and uh he's like yeah the park starts so you need to go around it I was like I know I go to Ballam Tube Station I was like I know how to get to Ballam Tube Station not a problem um great only three miles get my bag they're gonna put us on the train where they're gonna take us even though it was one o'clock in the morning where they're gonna take us you know so I started I, I started running up towards Ballam Tube Station up Queensbridge Road and then I get to the bottom where, where Sainsbury's is and I was like uh, and James Adams is standing there and he's like no there's a diversion you've got to go this way and I was like what diversion he's like oh, ask police you can't go up that way and I'm like fine so I went up Victoria Rise and as I was running up it I was like there's a centurion flag up there that must that was the aid station before they changed it to Ballum because I'm obviously so far behind they've gone to a much better lit place fuck I'm like so far behind now uh and I ran past the flag and as I ran past I looked and there was a guy sitting in a chair and I was like hello and it was Matt the front runner and I was like, Matt, are you okay? I thought, oh, my God, he's supposed to be injured. But this is good because if he's injured, he's out. So now I've got more time. And he was asleep. He'd been asleep for three hours because he'd finished because that was the end. And it was at his house. <laughs> it was his house in Clapham. Oh, no way. They finished at his house. And I guess he didn't know that, did he? He was. No, because he was when he was running, he was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to run past my house. This is going to be horrible. <laughs> but they finished it exactly 66.6 miles outside his house. Amazing. And I was like. James comes running up to me. He's like, you finished? And I'm like, what? Because I didn't want to finish. Because I had in my head, I had another 50 mm. miles to go. And though there's a video of me finishing, and I'm completely relieved about finishing, I don't want to finish. I feel like I've been cheated out of this epically <laughs> long, massive race. It's too it's, easy. It's too easy. I mean, but it wasn't because the whole was like in being interrogated the whole time because you're just so hyper aware of what, what's going to happen how far I've got to go have I got enough food in me I feel sick oh I've just shit myself outside a slug of lettuce which I used to drink in all this weird stuff's going on so actually you're exhausted completely exhausted but I was like no no it's not long enough no my first thought was what are people going to think like and, it's and not long enough you know how it was how what distances it's been in the past yeah it's been one year it was 130 miles another year it's been like 150 100 it's usually in that in that realm and people pull out but only one person pulled out of this race uh, at 50 miles because he just his head wasn't in it he just didn't want to do it anymore so this was a big finisher it was like eight out of nine people finished I yeah. mean I'm, I'm the second woman to have finished it but and it was fucking horrible and I, I wrote a blog on it because it was so mentally draining and I feel like I've let myself down because I didn't go far enough except there was nowhere else to go because that was the end of the race um, how, how far do you reckon you like physically and mentally would have been able to continue in that type of repetition? I would have gone on until I was pulled out. I would have dragged myself until I was pulled out. And if you had a sense of where, where that would be? or I had, in my, in my head, I had 130 miles. 
that's what I had at the beginning. I was like, 130, it can't be more than that. Someone in the group told me to think 200. I was like, they wouldn't do that to us with that mandatory kit. They couldn't. But like, that's what I had in my head. And I would have kept going until until I was too physically exhausted, which I've never experienced. I've never got to the point of physical exhaustion where I can't go on anymore. So it was a test. It was like, how far will it be? But James said to me, will you do it next year? And I'm like, fucking yes, I'll do it next year because I want to see how far I can go. And now I know about that horrible feeling of not knowing where you're going imagine that hellard as a fast runner yeah. you're told to run to, to finish something and you don't know when it's going to finish what do you do like, what how do you pace yourself yeah i mean I've, I've never really run a distance where when i'm racing it like comrades is the longest i've done or, or marathon to start a long day and it, that was comrades was still what re- relatively fast marathon to but less say because you understand but it's always been i'm running at you know a decent trot it's it's comfortable but i'm still running so yeah i i i've no I, i've never had to be in a position where because this fucking injury but that, that's next year i because that's what i want to test I, I um i really want to sign up to do something like the backyard uh yeah. big big's backyard and just see how far i can go and what it is like to know there is no because it, it's not as if you can drive yourself forward with the thought of get there and I've got a medal or get there it's just you just got to keep on going buddy. it's all imaginary the whole thing mm. is imaginary like at one point I was at the checkpoint six miles away because I've made that number up I'll just go six miles and you start playing these games of like I'll just get to this point because then this will happen and I'll just get to this point because then this will happen and it's but I think that now I'm ready to go and do something like back, uh, like, like um, backyard because I think I've got a mental edge on people. But I'll do this one more time. I was definitely going to do piece of string one more time just to see how far I can actually push it. And do you think it would help not to have like a GPS watch? Uh, I was looking at my watch every fucking two minutes. So if I hadn't have had my watch, it might have made life a lot easier for me. And I might test that theory next time because you get obsessed with your watch. How far mm. have I gone? Uh, 0.3 miles since you last looked at it. And, you know, I was running a mile and then marching a mile, running a mile, marching a mile. Because I was like, if I've got to go through the night, this is how it's going to be. And I will take those boys at the end because they, they all spread, spread off. But it never came to that because it, was never, it wasn't long enough for it to come to that. And a lot of the other guys who've been in contact since have been like, same, I feel cheated because I feel like I could have done that so much better. Um, but you don't know and you'll never know. So it could be 10 miles. It could be 110. It could be 200 miles. And that's how it works. And it plays yeah. off everything that an ultra runner is good at you're good at admin you're good at pacing you're good at knowing where your kit is you don't know what kit to wear when you don't know anything that really pushes your buttons mentally like it's fucking it was it was pretty difficult but then i hate the fact i'm going on about the fact it was hard when it wasn't that far on the grand Mm. scheme of ultra running it really wasn't that far but and and do you think if because given that the terrain they chose was relatively one-dimensional compared to what it could have been do you think if you were to do again it would be worth the extra weight of running with a pair of changeable trainers in your backpack the whole time yes and no because if i I think that you go nuts and so i would have probably put on my road shoes and thrown away my trail shoes or done something stupid like that like you've got Mm. so i had so much kit i had so much warm stuff so much food because it's great going to shops but shops shut at 11 o'clock at night and there's nowhere Mm. to get water and nowhere to get food so you know and I was really worried about running out of food and being hungry and really worried about um, being cold and really, you know, I was, I had a first aid kit, I had everything because I, and battery packs, because what if your phone runs out and something bad happens, you've got to have all this backup stuff. So 
would I have run with another pair of shoes? I think I should have changed my shoes a bit earlier and then and winged it for five miles, to be quite frank. But you live and you learn, don't you? And it's mm. worse to have a pair of road shoes on when suddenly you've got a got penny fan than it yeah. is to have your trail shoes on when you're running along Thames Path. Yeah, especially bit, at night. Yeah, it was just a bit painful. So, um, yeah, but it was it was an experience, put it that way. But I just feel like it's a massive anticlimax now. <laughs> it wasn't that hard, was it? it Which is great. Hard. That's the ideal race. That's why it's so good because not only does it is it brutal to you mentally when you're doing it, it doesn't give you any rewards and it, you're forever tormented from it afterwards. So yeah, and also I, you get back and you're absolutely exhausted because the cortisol, the stress hormones running through your body the whole time. <laughs> you must have felt like it on Hell Week. You're, you're just yeah. permanently like hyper stressed, so you're permanently knackered, yeah. and it's just and it's horrible. And at the end, all that just goes, and suddenly everything's all right again. Until the next day when you're so achy because of all this like stuff that's been running through your body that you can't move. Um, but yeah, it was it was fun. I'll definitely do it again. And uh, I did finish, but no medal, no T-shirt, no time, no nothing. Go home. Did you get a piece <laughs> of string? No, nope, yeah, nothing. Oh, <laughs> well, Ali, thank you so much. It's been an incredible interview. Um, I can't remember how we normally finish interviews because I've never finished an interview for well for years. Thank you for coming on the podcast. We'll let you know when it comes out. Thanks so much, David. <laughs> Goodbye now. Goodbye, Ali Bailey. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, that doesn't sound fun. I don't know. I, I think I, if I'm ever fit again, I'd love to get that. Yeah. But the it's it's interesting the or the, I mean those those two experiences are so different. Um, but part of me wonders whether if Ali's experience in the piece of string race and should have asked her this at the time is one of those questions that came to me afterwards. If there'd have been someone slower than her, who was a female, would that have completely changed her mindset? Because I think a lot of her experience was determined. By, by the fact and it was predetermined by the fact that she knew she was at the back and that there was a chance she'd be timed out and that was playing on her mind the whole time whereas if that wasn't a factor her her race could have been completely different is that yeah yeah that's a really good point because if, if you yeah if, if you because if, like, the thing is i when i when i um I'm, you know, slow um, in comparison to, to a lot of people. So whenever I do races, I, I, I am constantly worried about being timed out. But it's almost good in a sense because I don't know, think about anything else. <laughs> so And so you kind of got that impetus there that keeps driving you on. Um, mm. You know, it's like that thing about being slightly chased. You're, you know, if you're feeling like you're slightly chased, you, you perform better. Um, but if you're quite if you're quite comfortably at the front, then what type of race is it for you? Is it as challenging? I don't know. It's, yeah, it's one of those things I just don't know. Yeah, and at least when you're, if you have got that pressure being timed out, you know how fast you need to be running and you know at which point you're getting to the next checkpoint. And so you've, you've got that control of your performance and also of the outcome to a certain yeah. extent. And it's that, um, and, and, and the, the, it's incredible the fact she said it was, even though it was 60 miles, it was the hardest thing she's ever done. I'd love to know if she's going to do it again because 
it's the type of race that they can't have two years of 60 miles. Like it's going to have to go big next year or else it's not going to retain that reputation that it's, it's built up. Yeah, but then if, will, people, will people avoid it knowing that it's going to have to go big and then it'll be shorter? That's what, that'll be the brilliant thing with it. Yeah, yeah, it's just a couple of miles and then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I just think it, it's one of, I've, I've never done a test like it. And when I get back, I either want to do something like that or I want to do the uh, the Biggs Backyard Ultra oh, where, yeah. you know, I've, I've, I've only ever run to pace, to distance, to time. I've never had that experience of having to make my mind take over my body, yeah. if that's the way of describing it. Um, <laughs> That sounds ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, but take over my body. Yeah, I've, I've never had to run just based on pure grit and determination. I've always run based on physical capability. So um, those two things would be very, very different. Um, but also, you could have someone in that race where you could just have some bastard who decides, right, I'm going to screw everyone and I'm going to run this section flat out suddenly everyone gets timed out and could completely change the race and could happen as well because if you're all pacing for 160 miles someone comes in it's like right sod you i'm running i'm running this 30 miles at my 40 mile pace then you could quickly end up with one person in the piece of string race and is james going to keep going all the way through the night all the way through the days just for one person i don't know don't have words and then suddenly you've got no pressure because there's no one who's going to time you out either you just walk the whole thing could be a tactic i i think you should test that tactic at the next one so <laughs> i'm not sure that, i'm not sure the reality will play out like that so please so please test that please especially try. if james has been listening to this please like, right. go hard in the first 20 miles of it it's like 5k 5k pace in the first 20 miles get see if you can time everyone out and then walk the rest <laughs> oh my god please do that. i mean it's gonna make a good a good episode but it's it's so interesting as well about because i wasn't sure whether to get ali on as a guest in her own right or to to um have her do intro outro to talk about those but actually just hearing about the hebrides and you know i hadn't realized that women's experience of an ultra like that would be so dramatically different by not having alpha men there. And it, it does make you wonder how many, how many ultra running females there are out there who just don't want to do it because they're surrounded by twats. Um, I, I don't know. But I, I think they who are completely unable to answer that question. I think yeah, we, I, we both are. But I think they should put on. They, I mean, it sounds like they need. They should do a a female. I mean, you've got your female only race for lives. Well, uh, got, the thing is that when they do female only races, they don't. It, it, it does seem to be organised by men who fundamentally misunderstand what women want from a race, which it probably isn't prosecco and pink balloons. Yeah, but Ali, Ali should put on an ultra, like a multi-day ultra, just for women, as a way to bring more women into the sport. Because, you know, if, if, if it is such a fundamentally different experience, 
And, you know, as you said, 30 people applied and they were all men. Yet all of these women were capable. And, you know, apart from two of them who really were out of the comfort zone, did really incredibly well. Then if, if that is the limiting factor, we're always talking about how there aren't enough places for it should be equal places for, um, you know, UTMB and there should be equal prize money and all these things. But actually, if the limiting factor is that they just don't want to have these alpha ultra experiences in the first place it doesn't matter there's other fact there's other elements won't change the sport because women won't be stepping up in the way that they they probably should, well we, we want them to be i i um i would also like to point out that i'd absolutely love to run ultras without alpha males in there. <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, but wouldn't you like it's like they're dominated by like those twats um yeah and it would it would just be it would be a much much nicer experience if it was i'm not going to start harking back to the good old days of ultra but it kind <laughs> of was a bit more like that you didn't have the um uh like the alpha twat did it because there was nothing to be gained from it it wasn't it wasn't social media to the eyeballs where they've got to wear you know the salomon man thing going on but i wonder whether it's i wonder how much of that is is now um whether it's because because i i don't know if i fall into that category or not because you yeah, okay there you are <laughs> that, that, that answers it quickly because um yeah i would i'd want to race as fast as i could i don't think if i was on an expedition like that though i would at all because i'd i'd sign up for a different reason and it would be marketed in that way but is it the fact that a lot of these expeditions are races that create the alpha or create that atmosphere or is it just the individuals involved create that atmosphere no matter what the experience was well people i think people approach races for different things like if i went to, if i went to do that hebrides thing um i wouldn't be interested in i'd be interested in like, the experience of it but mm. it, it, now you have people in race yeah you know, the whole idea like with ultras and all day things of people actually racing them is is something that you know for especially like the british ultra scene was something you know is is kind of is different from what from how it, it used to be in the sense that, you know, a lot of the ones, uh, my personal experience this is, um, a lot of the ones I went to, they weren't necessarily timed. You know, there was a rudimentary thing like, oh, you know, you were the first in, something like that. But now it's a, it, it, it's a much bigger thing. And so it's going to attract people who do things for a different reason. And I think you'll, in any race, you'll get different groups of people who are doing it for different reasons. Mm. And if you're doing it for time, that competitiveness uh, is going to be there. And, you know, it's either you don't, you either change the fundamental of the race by not having it for time, and that's it's for an experience thing, or it's about conquering the distance, or or, or something like that. Um, and I think there's still a lot of ultras that that are like that, um, and that takes a lot of that that kind of competitiveness out of it. Um, that may take some of that away, but I think you, you'll still attract people who are doing it for, for. I don't know how do you how how. <laughs> I don't think you'd be able to. Um, uh, I don't think there's no, any way of having an alpha filter. Um, I think it would yeah. be doing things like that. That you know, a, the simplest thing would be to um, you know, divide it along um, those lines. Yeah, and and you do get alpha females. I just don't think you do to the same extent. Um, yeah, so well, I think I think Rat Race and Ali should put one together. It's it's something that hasn't been done. Something that's definitely worth trying. And I think it'd be really, really interesting to see how popular it was and, and just how how much p- 
people would achieve based their basis based their ex- sorry, versus their expectation. Um, yeah, there must be there must be like a lot of those things that it must feel like if if people get worried about running London Marathon and being last, then that level of anxiety and worry about doing a multi-day race over a terrain mm. that they've not experienced you know, or must just be to such a level that they're just like, I'm not even going to bother doing it. Whereas mm. I think if you, if you create environments where, uh, not just along gender lines or, or, or anything, but uh, you, know, you create environments whereby it takes the anxiety out of that, then I think that's a good thing because it gets people into doing things that they didn't think were, were possible. The problem is, is that if it, you know, if it, if it feels too much like a race, then it's not a, it's not an environment and you know i've been put off things if i've thought that they're too much you know if they've been too much about um uh like i'd never done transalpine knowing what transalpine was like mm. i don't think i would because it's just it's too it's too focused on 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 that on um, times and um and times and, and you know it's not it's it's not inclusive in any way it's not yeah. it's not supposed to be inclusive the, yeah. it's all you know it, they you know and they kind of ridicule people you know that are a little bit overweight and it's you know it's, it's not it's not a pleasant environment and yeah so, it just sounds mean rather than it, well it is quite well they, well they're just they're just very matter of fact about it they're just like you know this is this is this is kind of you know a bit more sort of elite thinking type thing but um uh, but you know in a general environment that that's 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 pretty bad but you know again i can't empathize with um i can't you know have like proper empathy with with, with a female in that situation but I imagine that it feels a, a, a hell of a lot more, have a lot worse as well. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I think that would be really interesting to see um, women only events like that on that scale and see what, the, you know, what kind of dynamic that, that creates. Yeah. And, and female listeners, you know, are, are there some of you out there who don't, you know, haven't done an ultra because, or a multi-day or something, you haven't really stepped up to in a way that you, you see some of your male peers doing just because you don't really want to get involved in it or because you're you're, you're lacking confidence what what are your thoughts is this something that that would be positive for the whole community to have these female only events and, and would you then change the races you did if you had that opportunity um you know let us know because i think this is one of those times where actually between ali the community and rat race we could probably create this and everyone would come out of it happy you know everyone would do well from the situation so um let's know what your thoughts are and uh yeah we'll, we'll, we'll... yeah and i'd be interested in it. are there other lines that you could split it as well that would create different types of races be vegan only race <laughs> yeah yeah well reggae we talk... reggae lovers only rate 90s reggae lovers only race there literally be three of us in it that would be like that would, oh but we'd have the best time fewer people than barclay no yeah Few people than Barkley, but the happiest race ever. Yeah, we'd listen to all of the '90s reggae classics, and uh, after the first 5k, we'd then listen to them all again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank good you didn't say all the good ones, because I'm like, I don't know if we've got 5k's worth of good, good, good uh, '90s reggae in there. But it does seem that, like the last four or five weeks, we've been talking a huge amount about male female um disparity issues in in running and in the community at the moment i don't know whether it's just the news recently or the topics we've chosen or but i i don't know i don't know if things are getting better or worse that's the 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 struggle at the moment i don't know i think it just follows in the long line of things that we talk about that we know nothing about so i think it's pretty uh pretty (laughs) pretty pretty much in keeping (laughs) 
<laughs> but do better. If you've, if you've loved this episode, then Ali's been host of quite a few episodes, but also um, she's recorded a, her own episode. It's the second time she's been a guest where she talked about her struggle with mental health and also kind of about rock and roll running and about the ridiculous number of races she does a year, more than anyone I personally know, um, and, and why she does that and how she got into it. It's really, really good inter- episode, really interesting. Um, any other episodes you'd recommend, Jodie, to, to listen as a, a nice follow-up to this? Um, i trying to think of other whack ultras, if you liked the piece of string story. Um that's probably the craziest. Well, not the craziest. That's probably the most unusual. Yeah. Spartathlon. I mean, Spartathlon's one hell of an ultra to hear the story of. We've, we uh, spoke to Robbie Britton about that. We spoke to Dean Karnassus about that. We spoke to Harvey Sweetlove about the Badwater. If you like your your chunky ultras. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, there's quite a few to get your teeth into. And also, some good news for you, Jody. You Badwater fan? Because the the race director, Badwater fan, massive Badwater fan. Race director is coming to the National Running Show. Yes, yes. So we've got another person potentially on the ultra stage, which is. <laughs> You're going to have to tell me what I'm what I'm supposed to do on the ultra stage. I saw I saw the the banner here, the picture of me on it. I'm like, oh god, we're going to have to do something, aren't we? I think we're just going to just just stand say there and like is... applaud. This is this is someone that you actually want to listen to. There we go. <laughs> exactly. We don't have to do much work. So if you haven't checked out the the, um, the content of the National Running Show, we do have our own stage. Have a look. It is a it's insane what we we're talking to Mike, the organizer of the whole show um, on Thursday. Crazy what they've achieved, what we've put together. So we've got Camille Heron coming. We've got Laz. We've got James Elsa. We've got Nikki Spinks. We've got, I mean, who's who of world ultras essentially. Um, so do put that in the diary. End of January. If you're not a member of running club yet, join the bad boy running club. Can't remember how you find the details. But I'm sure if you Google it, it'll come up. Club.badboyrunning.com. Yeah, we're down to our last 50 of a certain element of merchandise that can't be named, but we're just about to hit the 200 mark as well. And uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, please, please, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you haven't done that yet, and this is your third or more episodes, come on now. We don't ask of much. Give us that review. It really helps us with um, the ability to attract guests because that's the main thing they use is the credibility and to gauge the scale of the podcast. So the more of you that leave positive reviews, the bigger and the better the guests that we can get on, which um, is essentially what we all want. So get reviewing people. I think that's kind of covered it all, isn't it, Jay? Pretty good. Pretty good. Well, See mate, pleasure as always. Bye 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 I must admit I was a clone to be messing around But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town Come back Yes and give me one more try Cause a love like this should I never ever die Come back Fuck you buddy